Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck, for Christ's sake. The person who's been not dying longer than any of us is our new guest tonight. It's exciting. It's incredible. And it's the thing I've been talking about the last two podcasts about who listens to this podcast. You were probably 16 years old, Wiley, probably for Four, since 14, the, 13, 14. Yeah, 14. Huh. So he's, I've known him his whole adult life. He's one of the greatest guys in the world. He's kind and thoughtful and texts oh. me out of the blue. How are the kids? One of the few friends of mine that does that, by the way, Chuck. One of the few friends. That's, that's impressive. And in my phone, it says Wiley and Kobe. And that ain't Kobe Bryant. That's Kobe the dog. And here's Wiley. Thanks for being on the Don't Die podcast, Wiley. I know you're a big listener because you emailed when we stopped doing it. I thought something was wrong. Like people were calling me going, hey, this podcast you introduced me to, there's not any up right now. And I said, like, I sent you a text going, what is going on? I mean, we're, we need them at least twice a week. I mean, when I went back, during the pandemic, and I listened to all of them. I started like one day I listened to ten or twelve, and four here, and just like you know, as I was saying, my friends like, "What are you doing?" I'm smoking these podcasts, man, like a like a crack rock. I mean, like, one after <laughs> well, so, so why? What is your sobriety date, if you don't mind me asking? It's way before uh, me. Uh, March nineteenth, nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. Oh, you're after. Wow. Uh, you're six years old, longer than me, but after Mike, what's yours? Is yours 19? Mine is Christmas Day 91. Oh, you see, I knew Wiley was sober longer than you. See that? that, but yeah, that's, <laughs> see, that's actually two years because like Christmas Day and then it just turns 92. So it's really actually, you know. Or you have leap year, right? So <laughs> we were all in the crack epidemic of 84. That's for sure. And (laughs) (laughs) I was just telling somebody about the first time I smoked crack. Wait, Wiley, can I ask you, was Tex and the Horses, were we the ones that sort of introduced you to that decadent lifestyle that we ended up all? No, not really. But but, but I remember what introduced to a lot of us sobriety was when Smog went to rehab and came out. Right, right. And his hair was long. He looked like fresh and clean, clear eyed and came by the malaga castle i think we're all going somewhere maybe to a, a water buffalo picnic or one of the east hollywood silver lake silver lake barbecue associated one of those but we saw him he looked so happy and so clear i'm like what happened to you you know we're all we're all in our in our bottom that time when we saw him like terry me and a bunch of us yeah that that's true smog might be the first person that got sober i'll tell you why because he had gone to rehab. I remember what you're saying with the long hair and he didn't know whether he could be in bands. And I remember driving on Highland and fountain at the Jack in the box there. And he was sober and it was so foreign, the idea of somebody being uh, sober, but then you know how, when you're loaded and somebody's sober, you have to, to criticize them to build yourself up to do drugs. Right. So I did this thing where like I still had my house on Fountain and Gardner and he was really just couch hopping sober or like he didn't want to stay where he had been staying because of the drugs or whatever. And I remember like dropping him off somewhere 
and thinking I'm superior. Like, yeah, he should stop taking drugs. He doesn't have a place to live. Right, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think it might have been it might have been the loyal order of a lot of Buffalo picnic because he was afraid to go there because everybody else is drinking and get, you know, partying at high. And it, I don't know how Smog ended up at my house. He was driving a limo, right, Mike? He was a limo driver. He was a limo driver. Yeah, yeah. right. And he ended up in my house and he had to return the limo so then, or something. And then I picked him up and then I was driving him somewhere else. And I remember he had told me he went to rehab. I think in like Big Bear or somewhere out here in the IE. He went to Cry somewhere. Help. Oh, did he go to Cry Help? Yeah. He went to Big Bear for rehab. I think Rock did maybe. Like, uh, anyways, so he had been to rehab, which I knew a little bit about rehab. And so, and I'll tell you, this was pretty early on because in the song, Nothing's Perfect, that's on Stormy Weather, I write about that car ride with smog. It says, friend of mine was high for years. He was high for most of his life. Two and two never equaled four. Two and two always equaled five. He didn't listen back then. He don't listen much today, except he's in more trouble now than he ever was in the past. That's about smog when he first got sober. His life didn't seem to be better than mine, Wiley. <laughs> so I should continue using Chuck. That's the thing. Right. <laughs> He wasn't a limo driver like these cheesy limos. It was like black town cars, the ones that go drop off Barbara Streisand into the bowl. Like, like he wasn't just like driving around like like a back of the LA Weekly, you know, <laughs> limo, limo company. He was like, well, I, I, it's so funny that whole era. You were there the day Hillel Slovak died, correct, Wiley? Yes. It was sad, right? It was, it was horrible. Horrible thing. That night. I, you know, I had to deal with trying to find Anthony and Flea and trying to find Jamie, Hillel's brother. And it was just one of the awful nights. And later that night, Smog came by my house in a limo because he had driven Angus Young to the forum to play. Yep. And then I rode around the back of Angus Young's limo the night that Hillel died because I was just so it was so it was like being on acid. He was the first person we any of us had ever known that died. It was so crazy. Everybody that knew him, the the color in life changed. It changed. It's just like you didn't see anything. Uh, uh, you know, just it just changed. So imagine yeah. the profound effect, Chuck. This one death has on the whole community. Thousands of people. None of us had ever known anybody that had died of drugs, and that was in 1987. Fast forward to now. Oh no! It's incredible. No. It's how. No death has any impact on their community at all because there's one every 17 seconds. Right. And, and it would like to today at our place, we had four people who had had relapsed and they were eating pills that they didn't know what they were. And when um, Warren's talking to them and the counselors were just trying to get behind them and see how we can support them and move forward with this stuff. And the idea that they could have eaten that that pill, these pressed pills and died just doesn't even register. And he, and the idea that all four of these people are under 25 and they know multiple people that have died. It's just not even shocking anymore. And right. I know, but I don't know if they're, you make a good point. I don't know if they're as close to the people as we were. I know the people that I knew in the eighties are still dear to me. 
you know, because we connected in a different way. I don't know the kids. We talk about this all the time. I That's what I'm talking that about. They have that that smog, connection. Here's the thing. And I hate to talk about smog, but we're going to talk about it. So that smog would be so comfortable with me. He was also the bass player in Thelonious Monster at the time, too, I think. But um, that he would talk to me about what it felt like to be sober and all of us loaded in a real genuine, honest way, I don't think I don't think millennials are having those kind of conversations on that deep a level of yeah. honesty, vulnerability, um, and just community. I don't think they're having it. I think that's part of what's wrong with our society is that we are the survivors. I was talking about survivors today. I like survivors. There's a new documentary coming out about Rick James, and it tells a story in it that I love which is, uh, you know, it's very vulgar. I don't even know that you can tell this story anymore in a modern world or not, you know, get in trouble uh, in social media. But I'll just paraphrase. So Rick James' follow-up record to, to Super Freak was bombing. And he was mad at the president of Motown Records. The guy's name was Jay Lansky. And, he, and Barry Gordy's son was Rick James' manager. And I get told this story while I'm smoking coke with a guy in 1991. And then it's in this documentary. And I thought when I was told this story in 1991, that it was just Rick James exaggeration and bullshit and, um, you know, and he didn't really do it. But it actually happened. Rick James was all coked out, crazed out of his mind, drives to the Motown building at Sunset and Vine. And goes upstairs into the president's office, barges in, walks around the desk, pulls his pants down and insists that the president of the record company suck his dick. And so then they security come and get him out and the manager's trying to stop him and they get him out and everything. And supposedly there's all this kind of, con you know, like everybody's in the president's office. Are you OK? And all the staff is there and like, you know, the aftermath of something like that happening. And all the record company president says is. Lionel Richie. <laughs> meaning, <laughs> meaning we are going to move away from crazy people like Rick James and start <laughs> yeah. promoting real safe people like Lionel Richie. And so the, in the, in the Hulu, Hulu documentary, it says Lionel Richie has his career to thank to Rick James. <laughs> <laughs> well, that he wrote great songs. And but, so, yeah. And when we tell these stories, Wiley, part of the text message, he said, he said, you want rock and roll debauchery stories? He's got them. Now, Wiley's been a road manager, a stage manager in the on some of the greatest things, not only in the present day, but in the 80s and 90s. And and I'll tell you where Wiley is at. Wiley was BTS's road manager. Were you not, Wiley? Uh, one of the one of the production people. Yeah. Uh, BTS, Chuck, the biggest band in the world. That's yeah. who you're talking to. There was a lot of people doing certain things, like in the stadium, outside. That tour, we had all these huge, big areas built for the kids to show up and buy merch and little things to do, like uh, why they're waiting in line to go into a stadium. A lot of a lot of our listeners are not going to know who BTS or is or know the magnitude of it. They are the biggest band in the world. They're a public company. They're a public company on the Korean Stock Exchange. They are worth four billion dollars, and they are what what the promo in Korea is. They are five Michael Jacksons in one. That's how big they are. And Wiley was there at the center of the quirk of the atom of beat of BTS. 
yes. I got to see a lot of the really the fans are coming to the way to get in. If it's stadium, they wait in line in a certain area to go in for the GA4. But these kids will come in this area that we have, like you know, the stadium at Staples, a huge. We take the parking lots out and build it into like a, a, an area where all the kids line up. And here's the crazy thing: there are kids that are lined up in line to buy merch they can't get in the show that come in and buy merch and leave. So the merch is very uh, popular. If you thought back in the day, if there was a band, you're diehard. It's like I would have, I would have slept on the sidewalk the way to, to get into a place where I could buy a Talking head shirt, maybe you know, or something. You'd like right. your, okay. your favorite band that you like. These kids, these kids are so uh, so loving in the band. And all the, the thing about BTS is they all have different members, and you have a, each kid. You know, they, they have so much fan base, and uh, it's all so positive, though, right? It's all really positive. They're all everybody on that tour. Everybody on all, all the K-pop stuff we've done are amazing. The the staff that they have to put on the show, they put on it's it's a massive amount of of staff, but they put it together and they they direct it and produce it, unlike anything you've ever seen. How detailed their bidding is. But what? So what is it like in the arena? Can you even hear them sing? Oh yeah, it, it's loud. There's I mean, not people screaming. You try, to, you try to, you try to have the PA up, but it, it, it's. It's loud. Is it louder than Motorhead at the Olympics uh, uh, Auditorium? I would say, yeah, louder. It's louder than Motorhead, Chuck. Yeah. Oh, meaning, meaning the crowd volume. You know, meaning yeah, the, the crowd yeah. going the crowd's loud. I mean, they're, ring, they're, they're, it rings yeah. in your ears is what I've heard. I was unable yeah, to get a ticket. My friend who works with them, Wiley, couldn't get me tickets. But he sent me a, a, a laminate. He sent me a laminate. Yeah. That we, well, I actually, this is when lying to your children is good, guys. And Sydney can hear me. I should shut the door. Uh, Wiley sent us one of the laminates of the tour, and we said that one of the BTS guys sent it to her. Yeah, they're 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 amazing, and 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 they you know they put on such a great show, and everything that's going on with all all the production, it, it's just it's it's the best it really and is. now let's thrill chuck wiley with stooges stories and iggy stories now how how great is this career from iggy pop to bts chuck that's that's wiley's scope of practice that's, that's a wide scope of practice i'm gonna tell you one last thing then we'll move on so hold it up so i'm in san francisco i'm taking a cab from the hotel to Walgreens and in, in, in the Castro to get some antacids, 24 hour Walgreens. Oh my like, God. I in the Castro. You have to go ca to the Castro. And you don't, and you don't have to pay, apparently. You can just walk you know, in and take so, them and walk out. I'm right? in the Uber, right? And the, and the Uber driver asked me, he goes, Oh, how are you? What are you doing in China? I'm like, Oh, we're doing this, this show at the Warfield, a, a K pop show. I think it was Monster X, whatever. And the, and the Uber driver's like, BTS. Oh my God, BTS. He goes, my daughter, my daughter loved BTS. Oh my God. Tried to buy her tickets, $1,000. Oh my God. My daughter loves BTS. Are you going to be in town with BTS? I'm like, I don't, I think you're playing maybe next year. I, there was a date, but I didn't, I didn't let the Uber driver know. So a year later, we're doing BTS in Oakland and we're setting up. We're there a couple, I'm there a couple of days early. And all I could think about was the Uber driver. Oh, my daughter, BTS. Oh, my daughter, BTS. <laughs> Over and over getting this really quiet voice. I think it was like haunting me. I'm like, I'm going to sleep. And I wake up like in a sweat. And I just hear, hear him. Like, oh, my daughter, oh, BTS. Like, How the hell do I get a hold of him, right? So I, I, I call, my, I call my, my connection here in L.A., uh, downtown police, uh, police station. And I go, hey, I'm, I need to find out. He goes, well, 
I'll call, let me try to find out. I'll, I'll call you, right? Then I realized that the driver was in my in my whatever the, the previous yeah in your uh, in your storage of your right. Uber. So I went down there like through. I'm looking through trying to find like a thousand, two thousand. Blah, blah, blah. I finally found it. Like hell yeah! <laughs> so I call them. Then they say it's going to cost you twenty dollars to leave a message. It rang to his phone. I called him, and it went to voicemail. I said hello. I, I left something in your car. I think it's a wedding ring. Can you please call me back? And like. <laughs> Half an hour he calls it back, you know. I didn't say like like laptop or purse because he would look back to me. There's no there's no laptop or purse. I said, I think it was my wedding band. I think he was he said he looked through the cracks in the car, looked around. Then I reminded him who I was, and he starts crying. Oh on the phone. And I said, yeah. Hey, um, um, does your daughter have school tomorrow? He's like, No. I go, Can she come to the show tomorrow? Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I go, You're gonna get a drop her off, et cetera, et cetera, right? And she came to the show. She got a bunch of merch. She, uh, her and a little friend were right by, by the stage in one of the loge areas. And how great, how great know, is that, Chuck? And I was that just like, rules. and he sent me a, he sent me a text with, if you ever come to town, come to our house for dinner. And I'm like, you that's damn so right, awesome. I'm going to come to your house for dinner. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's how great a guy. Here's how great. I don't know if this is, oh, Wiley was always a great guy. I can't remember Wiley loaded, but Wiley's always a great guy, so you wouldn't expect because you took my drugs. How could I get? I loaded? would never expect less than him, <laughs> except for Wiley's always been a great guy, Chuck. Except for when I took for granted I could go to the Rolling Stones at the Henry Fonda Theater. That was the day Wiley was like, "I can't do anything for you, Bob. I can't do anything for you." You get a text from Bob that. three days out. Hey, hey, what's going on at the Fonda in three days? Like, oh, we... yeah, right. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah. You know, Bob, you heard him say that, right? That he said that's because you always stole his drugs. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I just, <laughs> what goes around. <laughs> I well, the Malaga Castle was like a drug stealing environment. I don't know. Oh, it's, it's kind oh, of a legendary. Yeah. Oh. It was everybody. Sure, it was everybody, Bob. Yeah, it was everybody. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, people were borrowing things from each other all oh, the time. Borrowing. Bernie. Borrowing. Well, Bernie, Bernie lived there, and he, and yeah. so you know that was I was Violet, there. Right, Violet's a girlfriend, right? Borrowing implies you're going to give it back, Bob. I, you pay it forward, Mike. You pay it forward. <laughs> you could go, go to the Milwaukee Castle and buy cocaine to your left, to your left, and Frenchie to your right, and you could go, you go around the building, Milwaukee Castle, and little like maids' quarters that Gypsy lived in. She had all the all the loads and all the Percocets and all the you know, the 80s and 90s, early 90s downers. We talked about loads one time. Yeah, I, I, I. I they were not good. They're not. They're dangerous loads. And here's the thing. And Chuck, I think we're talking about. It. I took loads with this guy Brad that was in. Wasn't there a guitar player in Hard as Nails, Cheap as Dirt? Mike named Brad. Yeah, yeah Bradley. Yeah. Bradley. Brad DeLuca. introduced me to loads, and and they just fucked you up. They were just not they good were drugs, so especially powerful. especially they were mixed so with powerful. alcohol. So yeah. Chuck. I I take a load. Top Jimmy and John Doe think I'm on heroin and I'm like nodding out and stopping breathing and stuff at the club lingerie. And I told this story before. And Jimmy comes up to me and I'm sitting on a bar stool, kind of I'm you know turning blue at a bar stool at the club lingerie. Jimmy comes up to me, grabs me by my shirt, and just starts slapping my face back and forth, back and forth like in a movie. <laughs> And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And then John Doe was hovering over me. I fell on the ground. He goes, what the fuck are you on? What the fuck are you doing? Do you want to die? 
and oh. I, John Doe yelling at you like that. I was just like, fuck, what in the heck? And that scared the, I didn't do loads anymore, Chuck. How come we can't do that to these millennials with fentanyl? Can, why can't we grab them by the shirt, slap them back and forth across the face and go, what the fuck are you doing? And then they never do it again. But you liked, you liked Jimmy and John. Maybe they just don't like us. <laughs> I did loads once and I think it was at Scott Morrow's house when he moved, when he lived on Franklin. No, Hollywood Boulevard, Scott Morrow. That's what right, I right. Hollywood Boulevard. I remember that apartment. Because he moved from Beachwood Canyon uh, down to, before he, he was down in Hollywood over by uh, Stanley River. Right, Fairfax, right. Scott Morrow, God rest his soul. What a great guy. So many great characters back then. Was I'll tell you a great Scott story. He was so high on, on, on cocaine, right? He's like, I'm going to start a band and we're going to call it, call it the Gerotolics. And, and we're going to be dressed up like old men in robes and have hair dryers in our pockets. And we're going to sing all these crazy songs that are going to be called the Gerotolics. I'm like, Gerotol. That's <laughs> a terrible <laughs> idea. I'm like, really? I'm like. But you know how good wow. that idea felt like on cocaine? That felt so good, that idea. <laughs> it was, I couldn't even begin to tell you the rock stars you thought would never do what he was selling ever would be like at his house pulling up in, in the Lamborghinis and stuff. It was like, it was crazy. Yeah, the people, and he was a big, for people that don't know, he was, he was a rock critic at the LA Weekly, and he would crucify bands, just rip them to shreds, and they would still buy drugs from him, Chuck. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, come on. He, he one time, he wrote the greatest rock review in history. It was a new Jethro Toll album had come out like in, in 1990 or 1989. Like that's the last thing the world needed is another Jethro Tull record. And they, they had this space in LA weekly for the average record review. It's like three inches long. And all it said in the middle of that was it said the album title Jethro Tull, you know, Chrysalis records. And then it was blank space. And in the middle, it said more songs about fairies and boots. And then just, <laughs> and then more empty space and Scott Morrow. <laughs> more, more songs about fairies and boots. And when bands would see him, you know, it shows you, would just be like, oh no, you know. <laughs> but anyways, tell about Iggy, because I think you were there many times at Iggy shows, but the Iggy show at Coachella, at Coachella, at Coachella, or El Rey, that was a good one. Give me some Iggy stories. Because you guys, you guys opened up uh, uh, for them at the Elray. At the Elray, yeah. yeah, three nights that or insane. something. That was insane. That was, you know, on, on, right, right, right. It was so Iggy is so great. Think of it in another terms. Like think of Iggy dies after making the the records in the seventies with Bowie. Like yeah. he is immortal, but because yeah. he lived, because he's a survivor, Chuck. We yeah. don't really give him the, the, the props he deserves. No, it, it'll be when he dies and everybody will come out of the woodwork and say how great he is. Um, but you're right. He, he became immortal 40 years ago. And what's cool is that he hasn't embarrassed himself still. You know how many people that I'm, I'm afraid that if they kept on living would have just become messes and they would have just embarrassed themselves. Right. And he, he seems to have done a really good job. I was sad to see him on the Cadillac commercial or hear uh, the I'm a punk rocker song with the Cadillac commercial, but I, I got no problem with people making yeah. money anymore. I've grown up to the point where the point I'm trying to make is survivors don't get the respect that dyers do. 
No. Do you understand what I'm saying? To yeah. me, Robert Plant well, and Jimmy Page are still alive. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Iggy is still making records with the guy from, from Queens of the Stone Age. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, we should Jim be amazed. We should be amazed and bowing down to these survivors. Instead, we immortalize the dyers. There's something about that that bothers me. Do you know what I'm saying? So tell us the Iggy story, Wiley. <laughs> Iggy story. Wow. Um, um, funny. We we did a Yoko Ono did this thing they put together. This is about ten years ago at the Orpheum. And uh, Iggy Pop was on on the bill. Um, Lady Gaga was on. Um, Carrie Fisher was on. But Iggy was there, and he showed he's so great to 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 deal with. Because you're like, he's so nice and so sincere. And he, you know, he goes down to his uh, dressing room and hangs out and stuff. And he's, his guy that's with him, and uh, you know, just comes to sound checks. Really, really nice. And you know. That show we did at the Elray was insane because it was so insane. It was like he was still crowd surfing and crawling around and just, you know. Crowd surfing. Chuck, yeah. crowd surfing at like 65 years old. How great is that? <laughs> it's insane. And, and I, 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 and I, was, me, I was ready to be disappointed at Coachella. I was like, what are the Stooges really going to be like? I was down in the fucking pit. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. And the way he moves around, and he has that mic stand. It's a little light, and the way he kind of leans on it and does his his little uh, his little things. It's like it's amazing to watch him. It's like you're just like wow, you know. Yeah. So have you found have you found that uh, this is just a general question for rock and roll uh, 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 knowledge? Have you found that the less talented people are the more the assholes, Wiley, over your history in rock and roll? Um. Yeah. <laughs> like bob dylan can be as rude as he wants he's fucking bob dylan you know what i mean now the one thing that chuck that wiley has been able to do in the last 20 years is soften me about techno music what used to be called techno whatever you, whatever cool terms you're calling it nowadays but why okay so just runs, electronic music in general yes electronic music wiley runs the sahara 10 at coachella and he, I always bump into him. He always says, and he's always right. He says, bring the kids by. They'll love this thing. A couple of years ago, Elvis just loved this thing that was during the day with the car coming down. Yeah, what big, was that, uh, uh, Wiley? Uh, yeah, it's a big bounce house. I call it when the kids come by and hang out. Yeah, but it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the car came out of the ceiling. Right. What was, who no, did that? Cool. What, what artist came down in a car? Uh, oh, uh, uh, Will Smith. Will Smith's uh, uh, son. Uh, it was it was a Tesla that came out of the roof. Custom made. Yeah, it came down. Yeah, my kids love that. By the way, Chuck, kids love when Teslas come out of the sky and the person gets out and the guy and the person. Wait, wait, Chuck, wait for it though. And the person comes out and does nothing. That's what they love. <laughs> that's techno. That's techno music. In a, but anyway, Wiley, so Wiley, do you do a uh, stagecoach also? Since it's I'm a stagecoach, uh, my my stage turns into the Palomino, which was named after the Palomino on Lancashire. Which um, I saw, I saw Billy Joe, my favorite songwriter of all time before he died, Billy Joe Schaefer. Yep, he right. was. He played there when. Are he they? Are up. you? Well, but wait a minute, though. Aren't you running out of artists for the Palomino stage? You know, it's, it's sort of as you look at. As you look at 
newer country, but yeah, I mean, I mean, we've we've had Merle Haggard, we have we've had Willie Nelson. I mean, one of the one of all Ray Price. Best. I saw Ray Price there. Yeah, one of the best all time was uh, you know I would say, uh, you know George Jones. You know he was great. You know I get a call on my on my cell phone about two hours before Georgia went on. It was this tour manager. And he's the tour manager still had a problem pronouncing my name correctly because every time he meant to say Wiley, he would say Riley. And then <laughs> and then he would call my dog Toby instead of Toby. So they you know, different letters out there. You so know, he calls me I, in the phone and goes, Can you give me can you give me a weather forecast uh tonight when George goes on temperature, humidity, and and he's not like okay, I'll give him I'll give him the temperature. Okay, we're inside of the tents, so you know, we, we don't, we're not really bothered by by high winds too much. We just skins are on either side, so it stops the draft. To the draft, and then he, I go to the bus, and he goes, "I need to know if the winds, how strong the winds are going to be." And like, so we get on the radio. And, and, are you know, getting this, Chuck? Okay. Yeah, I so, am. So, so all this was maybe 10 or 12 years ago. All the wind, all the weather stuff we have, it's it's on our app. We have right. So I go. It's gonna be, about, it's gonna be up maybe sixteen with the breeze. Thank you very much. I said, "Can I please ask you why you're asking this question?" And I knew it. He goes, "I just need to know how much hairspray to put in George's hair." I'm like, <laughs> I'm like "Right on, right on, right on." How much, maybe maybe how much glue to put on the top of his head. Also, yeah. But, yeah, but oh. I'm a super but, fan. You know, like we. I remember a bunch of us all went to the. Pacific Amphitheater, the State Fair, one one year to see George and, and Willie Nelson. This package deal, like it was, we all went down there. A lot of us really like country, like a lot of us punkers. And I'll say with Mike, Mike, and everybody, we all were like, we like cow punk. We like, we like country. me and Tom Jimmy. Remember Tommy Pacheco that worked for X and Los Lobos? Yeah. Tommy oh, yeah. Pacheco, me, wow. Top Jimmy, and Tommy Pacheco, and Lori Patterson. Tommy passed away too. He was great. Yeah, he was great. And Lori Patterson, who's that lives in Minnesota, I talked to her today. She, uh, we all went to uh, Magic Mountain because Merle Haggard was playing at that arena there. That the Spinal Tap, oh. that Spinal yep. Tap, yeah. And so we went on the ride, Chuck. And uh, Tommy was a big guy. Jimmy was not a small guy. Lori's tiny, and I was halfway tiny back then. And so me and Lori get in the front of the log ride and Tommy and top Jimmy get in the back of the log ride wow. and the thing released and it wouldn't roll in the water because it just <laughs> sat down. <on> the thing. <laughs> <laughs> just took a seat. <laughs> and they had to like stand on the front of it to balance us, to get us into yeah. the river. Right. Mm-hmm. And boy, when we came down that final thing of the, of the log ride, when you splash in at the last, our fucking thing went hit the bottom like bam water everywhere and we saw merle haggard out there yeah it's true that punk rockers liked country music it really is true you know what was cool wiley about 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 uh, willie nelson was that i had heard that he just pulls his bus up and walks right out on the stage i said oh no that's that's got to be a myth or something right so i'm backstage and and then uh, I guess he didn't play until sunset. He never plays. He never plays yep. until the sun's going down, right? Yeah. So uh, then, uh, so we're back. Yeah, we're backstage, and the bus just pulls right up, and the little stairs come down right onto the stage in the back, and yep. he just walks out and walks right on stage with his guitar. I was like, yeah. oh my god! And he does, and he opens with "Whiskey River, Take My Mind." So rock. That's the greatest song. Big puff of smoke. Willie played a couple years ago, and and 
Neil Young showed up yeah. to watch him play. Yeah. Not being so, able to play with him. Willie played Coachella too, if you recall, on the main stage. I was he played, that. That was, that was a, he played Coachella and stagecoach. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. He's, he's a survivor, Chuck. We need to celebrate the survivors, my friend, Willie okay. Nelson. But here's a, here's a funny story. So uh, at Coachella, it was embarrassing celebrity rehab. My five years of celebrity rehab, it was kind of an embarrassment to be around cool people at Coachella. They, you know, oh God, it's sleazy what you do. And, you know, there's a lot of criticism in the uh, 12-step community, right, Chuck? And yeah. with hipsters. Hipsters don't like television, apparently. So then I'm at Stagecoach and everybody loves me. Like reality television is very popular at Stagecoach. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so there was this balance. I would be ashamed at Coachella, but then the next weekend I would be celebrated. Never more so than at the Palomino stage. I'm standing there. This woman and her daughter come up to me and they're talking to me and going, oh, my God, can we get a picture? And I'm like, sure, sure, sure. And I'm talking to them and they're asking a lot of real fanatics about celebrity rehab were into the what happened to the people and when they got in this fight and they want to know things from the TV show, different seasons, different episodes. And they're asking me all these questions. So I know they're like devotees of celebrity rehab, right? Okay. And, and so I get a, they get somebody to take a picture with the wife and the daughter and me, and then they do single pictures with me and they're talking about celebrity rehab. And then I'm just standing there and... Merle Haggard walks up and is standing next to us. And I'm like, oh, my God. And, and then the, the mom the, says, oh, my God, I want you to meet my husband. And he, she goes, he, lo he loves celebrity rehab. And Merle Haggard looked at me and goes, celebrity rehab. Yeah. That was one of the greatest moments of my fucking life. <laughs> Girl Haggard watched Celebrity Rehab. Yeah, hanging out. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Wiley. After 40 years of being working in music and rock and roll, uh, Road Warrior, do you have regrets or do you feel all it was all just so much fun and so positive? Well, you, you can't have any regrets as I look at it as, as, as I'm carrying the legacy on that someone else did when I used to go to shows. It's like who are your I, favorite you know, road managers? Who are some of your mentors? Who are the people that helped you understand what your job was and how to do it? Who were some of the people that were important? I mean, Eric Furman, who, 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 Eric, who, right. who worked with, you know, started working at GD and we were working together. And then he was, you know, life changing how he was and his calmness and just his trust. And he's, uh, he is such a calm, calm you know, guy. And, and, he, you he know, road managed some of the, most hideous train wrecks of all time. <laughs> and he I mean, was always calm. I was on two tours with him. One, he was managing Stone Temple Pilots. Can you imagine any worse yeah. job on earth than yeah. trying to keep track of Scott Weiland? Yeah, I tried. I mean, if I can, <laughs> nobody can. Yeah. <laughs> but Eric was always calm. And uh, and he, he, he is such a reassuring person. So... Do you think it's because you're sober that you're grateful and you appreciate it and make the best of it? And well, of course, course. yeah, yeah, course. yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I talk to so many using addicts who are trying to get sober that are from crews and road managers and roadies, and they're always so angry and 
they feel like they got ripped off and you never do. And my, 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 I think of my grandma, she had the same job for 55 years. Oh she never God. called in the dance sick. She worked nine to five or nine to eight, uh, Monday through Friday. And she worked and she never called in dance sick. And when she had her retirement party, they gave her a uh, $100 Seiko watch, which is. A- oh, my God. 55 years, Chuck. 55 years, $100 watch. That the work ethic that she had, you know, and, and I've always felt it like I, I'm trying to, you know, carry, carry on some sort of legacy. Hey, Wiley, <laughs> you know, I, I started my show business career as a roadie for a group called the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I don't know if you remember that group. They were very popular in the early 80s and around the L.A. club scene. But I started as a roadie and I would stand by the side of the stage and go, I could fucking do that. I could huh. fucking do that. How come yeah. you never thought you could do that? <laughs> it's not that hard, Wiley, especially well, you know, if you're a character I, I, like I'm you tra- are. <laughs> I travel a lot. Like a lot of K-pop stuff that we've done in the States, we did some in Europe. I mean, travel a lot for that because we were, we were doing a lot of from, from, from arenas to uh, theaters. and yeah, but I don't think you're going to be a K-pop star, but you could have been a punk rock singer. Why not? Why yeah. didn't you start your own I band? I would have been, you know, I guess I could have been, you know, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I could have been, you know, a backup singer in Dr. No or something. Or, you know, or <laughs> you uh, know because, because that, is, that, that was an interesting was career choice. That, I would shoot a little higher than that, Wiley. I think when you're, when you're breaking free, you should have your goals a little higher. Maybe, maybe a lead singer of a Dr. No type band. Right. <laughs> no, humility you know, humility through and through chuck that's what he got bob let's talk about you and you and wiley your connection to the lakers and what was it like where does your obsession with sports come from wiley it's 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 born it's and raised in los angeles you know born and raised in hollywood santa monica in, in genesee you know just Right there across from, you know, the uh, the uh, X-rated theater and, you know, the famous street that actually you know, John Doe lived on, you know, the. Yeah, on Santa Monica Boulevard. Love, love message that's in the curb. And, and uh, you know, I live, you know, that's, it's like watching. So, you know, so watching. there had to have been somebody in your family that was obsessed with sports. And people will say, like, Flea and Anthony are obsessed with sports. Wiley's more obsessed with sports. Yeah. Wiley is, Wiley is kings also. Not just Lakers, but Kings. Are you Dodgers too? You're not. You're a Dodger. I, I, I was at opening day a couple of days ago. Yeah. yeah, I was at reopening day. Reopening day. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, with, uh, I was yeah, there. I was there. Great. Was that freaky or what? The day before, you can't go into a supermarket and you got to be six feet apart and wear a mask. The next day, fifty-two thousand people at Dodger Stadium with no masks. It was 56. crazy. 56. No, it was 52. There was some empty seats. It was great. It was good to see, it was good to see, you know, it was good to see uh, the band, the team. I mean, excuse me, it was good to see them. And you know, Vince Colley, that was amazing. That just made everybody melt when he's when he was there on the field. That was great. It's time for Dodger baseball. Yeah, so no, you're you're probably the most obsessed. Do you go to do you go to every Kings game? And that no, you can. Not, I go, I go, but not as much as, as every single game. I mean, you know, it was. I'd done a couple other cup, a couple cup parties for them when they won the uh, the cup. But um, that thing is amazing. Just just looking at that thing and just looking at all the names and everything on it. It's just like 
it's so amazing just to be looking do you at go, it. Do you go with Greg Hetson at all? I never. Uh, I don't know if I've ever been with Greg Hetson uh, to a to a Kings game. Maybe I should. That would be fun. Yeah. He's yeah, he's but- a fanatic. I mean, he was like going to the forum. And he was when he was, you know, he he was the one guy. All, all the punkers were like, you like what? You know, he's a sport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and like he would go. You know, like like. You know, if, if 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 Greg had a camera to take pictures like we do with camera phones now, I mean, he would be driving down to the forum and his little he you see him leaving the old epitaph uh, office and getting his little town car and he's driving a little little thing down the street and going to a game and you know I used to always thought it was funny seeing Greg had some drive around like it was like a like a town car some sort of like a, a, yeah he had like an ltd or something yeah like yeah. Some, some 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 grandpa grandma car but there you know. was i was i i was with him one time we went down to i think it was san pedro at a twin movie theater and there was a show where red cross was playing on one side and circle jerks were playing on the other oh, yeah. and he was in he was in both bands and he and I did. He and I, he and I did uh, coke in his LTD car outside. That was a great day for me. That was a great day for me, Chuck. Another day that I got to do drugs without paying for it. There the you go. To, the key to drugs is not paying for it. That's the key. I, I was able to be a drug addict and not pay for it for almost five years, probably. Just by being longer than that, what are you talking about? (laughs) Five years, man. I want to point out. I can't remember a day you did. During this podcast, you went from denying it to embracing it, Bob. We are making progress. Well, here's the thing. I I was likable and I was always in the right place at the right time. Right? And if I and if you wouldn't give it to me, then I would become surly and bullying and almost on the verge of violence. So well, either Bob, way, you, you had were you give had me this, free drugs. You had this radar, man. You could just I you knew know, it. it was oh just, yeah, it was just if somebody had it and it was going down, you were there. I knew and it was free so, for you. You're, you're, the, you're the drug dog. You knew everybody. I had was it. the like, drug. So <laughs> I would see, So like at lingerie was a club. <laughs> lingerie was the club I associated with Wiley. I don't know why, but cafe too. But at the lingerie, I like to be over uh there's a there was a hallway that went out the backside of the crowd area that went to the dressing rooms i like to position myself right there at the hallway because i could see who's going into the dressing room and i knew what was going to go on chuck and i knew and so if i saw somebody that was an addict or a coke dealer i would just like signal them hey dude what are you doing and then they would be walking into the dressing room and i would just follow them and you know, Bob would go, you know spare bindles, empty bindles away in the trash. Can, can, can I get up can one I, line? And this is back when they used to they used to sell a quarter gram of Coke. Can you imagine? And uh, and I would always say, Hey, have you got a bindle I can get? Can I get a quarter gram? And they'd hand it to me, and then I'd just walk away, Chuck. I would just walk away. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Then what are they going to do in the middle of a nightclub? Say, hey, you t- you owe me money for drugs. And I would yeah, just be, you know. Who, who everybody was, going to the bathroom, going backstage, girls going to the bathroom, uh, uh, guys waiting for their girlfriends. The, the, You've got to have a radar bathroom, for what's going on. Back to the boyfriend, palms something to her, damn, you know. Bob was like out there looking like a, he's like a hungry. I, I was just like a radar. Hungry coyote and, looking for something to eat. <laughs> and and that's and that served me well, <laughs> but but so uh, uh, Wiley, I know that your emotional well-being is tied to sports. How are you dealing with the Lakers' crushing first-round defeat and out of the playoffs? 
I went. I went with 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 a, with, with a friend, Mike Greenberg. He's he's been around forever. He's a photographer. He's worked for us back in the day in the shows and all the great shows. We went, and you know, the game is over. I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking. I go, fuck. I you know, we're we're down. And Mike goes, yeah. <laughs> it's I'm called like, the agony, Wiley. It's called the agony of defeat, right there. Right. And I'm like, really? I'm like, <laughs> I was disappointed. You know, wow. <laughs> you know, you know, and it's, it's, you know, I don't know. I've been in Arizona. We play playoffs. I mean, I mean it's, can it's, I just say know? it? So I, so you know, I go back and forth about the Lakers. Let me just tell you this: you got smoked by Chris Paul. Chris choke Paul. You got mm-hmm. smoked by him. How does yep. that make you feel, Wiley? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. The, the worst was when wow. I was in Boston. Um, when we lost the finals. Uh, back in was it oh nine oh eight wherever that was to Boston I mean, to Boston Boston we lost in the Garden and it's like noon and I'm you know we're I, I'm praying we're gonna win and I get a call I get a call from John Black from the Lakers he's like dude he goes be careful tonight I'm like okay I'm um, fine I go he knows like I'm just busy be careful he goes you need you need to find somebody to come with you who's who's taller than you and you and my you were in Boston. Like, you were in Boston. Well, but it was in Boston for the game. He's yeah, yeah, bring, yeah. You need to bring somebody tall and big with you to the game. There's another ticket for you at the will call. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, what does that mean? I'm like, okay. Because you're not supposed to wear Lakers stuff in Boston, Wiley. Well, no, we lost that game, and he, he knew that we get the <laughs> shit kicked out of us if we were by ourselves. So yeah. right, we, we found a guy, and um, he came with us, a big tall. Big burly guy. And Were you wearing a Lakers hat, a Laker jersey, Lakers shoes? That that was why yes. he was warning you. You when you go to Boston, you maybe don't want to wear that. I know. No, we were on, and then he was he was wearing a, a Boston jersey. So it was like me and Hoover uh, all dressed up. Oh, Hoover, his, uh, Hoover, yeah. Hoover so made shirts all... uh, uh, banging with with Benga. Remember that there was a yeah. group of Lakers fans for this. For this yeah, uh, rebound, yeah, yeah, I have Turned that shirt still. Yeah. So in the yeah. next year, yeah. Flea and Anthony Klinghoffer, Paul T, and me went to Boston for Game Six, and we were told the same thing: don't wear five. Lakers stuff. No, don't five. You, you guys came to five, and then we won. Yeah, seven. Don't don't wear Lakers stuff, right? <laughs> and and. Uh, Flea is not going to listen to that, as you don't listen to it. Uh, Paul T did listen to that. Didn't wear any Lakers stuff. I he did have a Lakers hat. Was black. A black Laker Lakers hat on. Star. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you were there too. You were there with Mark Cates. Yeah. Right. So Mike Mar, I know you don't know that much about sports, but listen, we're Lakers fans going to Boston, which is the evil empire, and half of us are wearing Lakers shit, but. The game, we get blown out. We lose by like 22 points. So then we're just all disappointed and whatever, and we're not really too concerned about being beaten up after the game because Boston just kicked the shit out of us. We're figuring it's a normal thing. You beat, you beat us really badly. We're going to walk back to the hotel. Oh, my God. We walked outside. It was chaos. There were people like punching me, fake punching me in the face go fuck Lakers and they're dancing around us like and we all ran in different directions to try to get away from the crowd. <laughs> you know, we all, do you remember that's that more that was an Eastern game. It's at eight o'clock, I, I think. 
uh, ABC, and then we went to Fenway that day for an early baseball. Yeah, game. we went to Fenway. Oh, so you were yeah, yeah, all yeah, out. Okay, Fenway. So, and and Mike, get this. So at the time, Lamar Odom on the Lakers was married to the Kardashian girl, and the whole Boston crowd <laughs> made faces. They had the face of the Kardashian girl on these little stick things, and they <laughs> had the whole Piggy. crowd in Boston it was had Piggy. a Kardashian face on. Them. Oh my god! That's <laughs> but that's the fanaticism of sports that Wiley has embraced his entire life, the same way he's embraced rock and roll lifestyle. It, it it was hard flying home the next day on a plane, which is which is flying to like a two hundred mile an hour headwind. Took nine hours to get back from Logan to LAX. And I keep watching the game on DVD, it plays backwards, forwards. I'm like, fuck, I'm gonna write write some notes. Oh my god, you know, it's like I was it was like I'm I was just uh, I didn't have any hope. Well, yeah. I had a funny trip on the way back too. So I had a shirt that I bought outside. Uh, staples and it was a yellow and purple Lakers shirt and it was a picture of homemade kind of you know uh, uh, off the street shirt and it's a picture of Paul uh, Pierce and it said worse than Judas right <laughs> meaning he's from Inglewood and he plays for Boston it was just a joke shirt I sit down on the plane and this guy next to me goes uh, that shirt's not really that funny and I said, I know. It's just, I said, you know, it's this Lakers stuff. And, you know, I, I imagine you're a Celtics fan. He goes, not only am I a Celtics fan, but Paul is my nephew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And I had to ride. I rode on a nine-hour plane ride next to Paul Pierce's uncle, who lives in Inglewood, <laughs> wearing a worse than Judas Paul Pierce T-shirt. <laughs> there you go. Well, the, Talk about the first day when I got to Boston for those games, you know the ones, the ones we lost. Um, I showed up the hotel. Hoover's on his way, and I'm unfolding a Laker flag and hanging it outside the window of our hotel room, which is facing <laughs> Boston Common Park, right? And, I hang it there, and it's up there. I'm like, and I, I can't wait to go downstairs and look at it and see it moving. And like Chris shows up, Hoover shows up. He's in the restroom. I think he's in in there putting his weed. And one of those big punching ball things, you know, as you can blow up time, putting all his weed and tying a knot and just putting it in the toilet bowl or whatever, stacking all his weed. <laughs> like, you know, and, and like there's a knock at the door here. Boom, 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 boom. I'm like, and it's like that knock where they use, you know, how the maids will knock it with like a little piece of metal or something. That knock. I look through the peephole and I see some lady in a suit and some police officer out through the peephole. <laughs> I'm like, Hoover, you better. Hoover is like, what? I go, the police are here. So he thought it was for him, right? The door opens. It's a cop and it's a hotel manager going, um, can you please take that, that Lakers flag down? Cetera, this is Boston. And the cop goes, you need a permit to hang anything outside the windows, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, ah, uh, okay. I go, <laughs> I go, where do I have to get a permit? And he goes, City Hall. And he goes, oh, it's Friday. It's five o'clock. They're closed. I'm like, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm like, where, where do you get a permit? I'm like, up and in. So, you know, it was, it was quick. It was like this knock. You know, full leisure suit, you know, a name tag, a hotel lady. And like, I was like, and, and Hoover says, please don't cause any trouble. I've got pot in here. I've got pot in here. <laughs> the last thing I'll say about, about that, that time, Jimmy Goldstein, who a lot of you, if you don't know Jimmy Goldstein or not, he's too crazy. Guy. Yeah, he's the guy that wears the leather, the leather outfits in the hat. Yeah, he's always down on it. He was sitting at the 
bar hanging out. I said, he looks like he could be in Tex in the horse heads, doesn't yeah. he? He kind of dresses like, Mike, you ever seen this guy at Lakers games? He wears leather pants and leather shirts, and he wears no. a cowboy hat, and he has long hair. You guys, I, I've I, never I, been I've never been to a basketball game. Wow. But he's on television a lot, too. He goes to every game. Yeah. But well, from now on, Jimmy Wiley, Wiley, we're gonna we're gonna start a new urban myth, and we're gonna say Jimmy Goldstein is the former guitar player of Tex and the Horseheads. Let's just start spreading that. Everybody <laughs> listening to this podcast, we just want to start spreading that that guy in the leather outfit used to be in Tex and the Horseheads. Let's start spreading most, it right listen, now. I, listen, Bob, I had I had the most ridiculous reason for not liking basketball that you'll ever hear anybody ever say i didn't like the shoes squeaking and stuff i the squeaking <laughs> oh, wow. of the shoes just drove me nuts do, and i was do you like tendonitis <laughs> or something what, what causes squeaking to bother you what is what is i have cocaine, no idea cocaine cocaine just like eh, eh, it was, yeah maybe i don't know i was like <laughs> it, it upset my high or something i have no idea <laughs> So I tried to steal a Jimmy Goldstein's hat and run down the street. That's what I tried to no, do. No, I'm just going to yeah. start saying that guy That guy used to be in Texas in the horse act. Right. That's all I'm going to say. And I'm going to see if it becomes an urban myth, Chuck. That's what I want to see if you can create an urban myth. Let me tell you this, too. Wiley uh, had texted, texted me and asked if it was true that Texas in the horse says when we were in Europe and Chernobyl blew up, that that they told us not to go outside and me and smog this is what smog told him and it is true that they told us not to you know to get out in the rain or in the snow or anything and me and smog immediately went out in the rain in the snow and just opened our mouths and looked up and just <laughs> caught all the snowflakes in our mouths and we were drinking <laughs> that is that is that, that is the <laughs> punk rock spirit that never goes away like we don't it, care if there's a it, nuclear power plant like, exploded I, well i sent mike the text so i was like you know what Maybe we, we can do for the first time, you can do for the first time on your podcast, is phone a friend and say, we, go, we call Ma Smog. He's, he's, we just call him out of the blue. Hey, Smog, you there? It's, it's Bob and Mike, and uh, uh, we have a question to ask you. We're live. Oh, was this true? It's a true story? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we but, should. We should. We have to set that up. Let's do, let, we've done it before. Let's randomly call people, Mike, once in a while. Like, just, just and not even something. tell them we're... Let's just like prank them like the old days. Not even tell them they're on the podcast. Let's just start calling people and talk like, "Hey, dude, what's going on?" You're, you're this couldn't go right? wrong at all. <laughs> no, that, how could that go wrong? Yeah. That's so a got, solid I, plan. I got my short list of people I want to do that to. You know, something came up where I was talking about the band The Stranglers today. Oh, wow. the, they were a band i love their album called black and white it's one of the yep. coolest covers old punk rock band yep. so mm -hmm. i looked up i looked up to see how old they were um just uh you know because that's what i do nowadays like uh, when i've got no nothing to think about i want to know because i want to know if the stranglers are able to play uh -huh. like you know cruel summer or something you know what i mean or the <laughs> other one with morris so the stranglers drummer jack black his name was if you recall was born in 1938 oh, oh, man. and he is still alive oh. he is older oh, than God. bob dylan the drummer of the stranglers 
is older than Bob Dylan. <laughs> Bob, Bob, he doesn't play in the Stranglers anymore, though. Oh, he doesn't. No, but, but he's, he's alive. still alive. He's still alive. Yeah, Dude, that makes him they, older than my dad. But you know, but they were so accomplished. They they were such an accomplished band. Listen to Golden Brown. I mean, that was incredible. I have that record somewhere. It's in. They were so great. They are a lot. See, now that's what I don't understand. Why great bands just got get forget forgotten by history? Why is the Stranglers forgotten? And we have to listen about GBH and the Exploited for the rest of our fucking lives. Why oh, is that, God. Wiley? Why is that? Why is punk rock defined by Wiley just by shook the, his head? <laughs> like I'm there were so many we're, great bands. We're so the lucky, Stranglers, yeah. the Stranglers, the Saints, um, uh, all those pub pub bands. Uh, like they just got forgotten. And these now what? And how come? How come nobody's hip to Radio Birdman? Also, yeah, I mean, Radio, Radio oh, Birdman. They're so good. Oh yeah. my Radio God. Birdman. That record is so good that there is a record label that was started as a tribute to that band. That all of John Fashanti's early solo records are on. You can look at it. The label is called Radio Birdman. Oh. That record is so fucking good. So it's just yeah. so funny how how bands get forgotten and then oh. these other ones get immortalized. And, and it's really strange yeah. to me. The Stranglers are probably one of the 10 greatest original punk rock bands. And, yeah. and television is the one that everybody talks about and still immortalizes and whatever. Yeah. I'll take the Stranglers over television, really. Is it a contest? I like, like both. I like television, yep. I'd take both because we don't have to have one. Okay, together, I'm gonna I... I'm gonna do a, a thought idea with you. Take away the song "Marquee Moon," <laughs> and then what do you got? Venus. Yeah, yeah. one song. You, Venus but the Stranglers. This. Hey, how about the fact that Black and White, the record I'm talking about, is their third album? The Stranglers were an amazing band. Oh, you mean yeah. my third album? Drive, drive my very oh, own tank. I, I'm not not arguing that that point one bit, but there are a lot of like I just. You know, you, you have to go on to like Tubi or some really like off-brand thing. And then I, I find a Radio Birdman like uh, doc, but it's got it had like no money behind it. And it was, you know, they talked to Dennis for for a little while. But I mean, it's just like all these other bands that get propped up. Why does that happen? I don't know. They've got their counterculture. They've got their, you know, they at least the people that care about them really care about them. And I think that's what's always been important to me is that it's like I would I would rather have a uh, hundred people just be thoroughly into what I do. And we share this moment and we share this thing moving forward yeah. than have 10 million, you know, blind fans that saw me on. Well, guess what? I happen, to, I happen to know some of the guys in television. It doesn't matter whether you're immortalized or whether you're forgotten. It's all about the same, like the, the, in the long run, right? Because it, television can get back together and play all tomorrow's parties or something like that. Yeah. And, but st so could the Stranglers. Yeah. Yes, if there could. was an all tomorrow's parties in Australia, they could do it. And it's yeah. just, I don't know. It's just something that, that I think about a lot. Like why do certain bands get this credit for so much when there was there, I was there, there was just as many other great bands. It's, it's kind of okay. funny. And I, I do think it's about songs. And eventually the Stranglers don't have really one song you can point to. And television has marquee moon. And, oh, it is, everybody, and it is, everybody knows it is a miraculous, <laughs> huh? 
Everybody knows peaches. Walking <laughs> on the beaches, looking at the peaches. Dun, dun, dun. Well, you know who really knows that? The United States, the president of the United States of America. When I well, heard that, that peaches song, I was like, oh, it's Stranglish. Yeah. All right. Well, right. But it, All right, you guys, we got to go. We got to go. It's two hours. How come Mike, the producer's not telling us we've been talking because I'm just having a, I'm having a ball. Listen to all <laughs> this. this <laughs> you know, and, and I think, I think we should end with, I think we should end with, 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 you know, the message of course, like, you know, if you, if you're looking for, to get sober and to change your life, man, like getting sober changed all of our lives you know just oh, so yeah. immensely wiley's I mean, 30 years my, ago mine 28 years ago my Bob's life you know 20s. my my upbringing and everything was a disaster like i i say it, my whole life was in black and white and i got to i, I got to aa and it was the best thing that ever happened to me and i was getting sober and then and then you know six years later i went to an alamon meeting and then i walked in that room and then my everything turned to turn into color you know yeah. right okay yeah. and I you see. go was that let me ask you, was that room you walked into, the women's club on La Brea and Hollywood Boulevard? No, a double winners. Uh, 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 in, the Valley, in the Valley. No, yeah, yeah, I remember double winners. Yep, we've all, I mean, we don't want to get it. We got to have an Allen on uh, episode, Chuck. We got to have yeah. an Allen on episode. Oh, that'd cause, be great. Because inevitably, you, you end up an Allen on also. My first well, meeting was at the women's club. And ironically, Half the crowd there was the old Plumber Park crowd from NA in the 80s. Yeah. The, well, the yeah, Allen on crowd in Hollywood. All right, so until next time, yeah. listen, sobriety, believe it or not, sobriety is way better than dying of drugs. I know Absolutely. that you don't believe that, young people. Absolutely. It is. Surviving is way better than fucking being dead. And, and yeah. why I know that is because I have a deep belief that dying is nothingness. So yeah. all of this funness of the Stranglers and of, of BTS and, and going to Coachella and all this fun experience Maybe. and all the pain and overcoming and suffering and, and just life is so fucking incredible and painful and horrifying and joyous. And you've got to admit that's better than just nothing. Yeah. Just yeah. zero. You're going to yeah. be at zero sooner or later. Why not enjoy the ride? And so how do we translate this to young people? I don't know if, if, if sobriety looks boring and awful. And I have a lot of kids that I deal with that say my life doesn't improve when I get sober. And it's true. It doesn't. And you know what, we've Bob? Got I have changed my focus. I am focusing on old people, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. and if the young people can follow along, great. But I am focusing on older people. We're gonna pick that's perfect. Now that's the end of a podcast. Stay, stay, stay sober no matter what, right? Right. We're gonna, we're gonna pick go, it up Andy? on this new focus on old people sobriety. Yes. Sixty-five and older. <laughs> Try not dying know, today. No, 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 no. They don't have to be that old. But you know what? The old people are dying too. <laughs> the, old, the old people are dying. They're yeah, dying of fucking fentanyl overdose. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I. That, oh, that's that's a crazy thing. A friend of mine. Is, are you referring to the thing I said about the obituary of a friend of mine? The guy was a lifelong drug addict, <laughs> lifelong drug addict, alcoholic. He dies at like forty-three years old. <laughs> In the obituary, he's a musician. I won't say his name. In the obituary, it says died of natural causes. Oh no! <laughs> like, oh, no. What the fuck is that? It, it, 
It is well, natural for a musician, unfortunately. Maybe, yeah. it, is, it is natural. It's natural. All right, we'll talk to you next time. I love you, Wiley. Hey, Wiley D. Wiley D. Uh, Wiley D. Oh. Thank you so much. All right. See you soon, guys. Say, bye don't, bye. Die, don't, die. don't die, Wiley. Don't die. Don't die. I love you. Bye-bye. You're the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.